Similar to what he did for our sake. We want to be encouraged and motivated to endure our trials because if I ask the audience, have you had any trials in the year 2020? That would be a really obvious question, right? Of course we all have. In fact, we're probably in the midst of them right now still. So what do we do with those trials? Well, James told us in James chapter 1, verse 2, to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And i got to be honest, that's still one of the hardest verses in the Bible because we all go through trials. And the tricky part is to count it all joy in the midst of those trials. In fact, I injured my back yesterday, and I was really frustrated by that because if you remember, it was only about a year ago that I did the same thing, and I was down for like eight weeks. And when I injured my back, it felt kind of similar, and I was thinking, did the clock just start over? Am I going to be down for six to eight weeks again? And I was really frustrated, and this verse kind of came to me and said, Todd, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. And I was like, okay, pause, take a breath, you know, trust the Lord, remember what he's doing. You might think, though, that's the only passage in the entire scripture that links joy and trials together, but it's not. It's not. In Hebrews 12, listen to what it says in verse 2. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, listen to this, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you notice that phrase? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Do you see how trials and joy are linked? They're a team. Jesus found it a joyful thing to endure the cross. Now, obviously, he didn't endure he didn't find joy, the pain, or the shame of the cross. It says he despised the shame. But he considered joy. He considered the process and the reward of what he was going to do on the cross. And that kept him going to the cross and finish his course. But I want us to notice again the link between trials and joy. Trials, of course, are a very uncomfortable and painful experience to be sure. But the word of God tells us there's joy within trials eternal, lasting joy, if we can keep the right perspective. And this is the perspective Jesus had when he endured his betrayal, his trial, and the subsequent sufferings of the cross. You've heard the phrase, no pain, no gain, right? No pain, no gain. Anybody work out? That's, that's typically what you say when you go to the gym. No pain, no gain. It doesn't mean you like pain. It means you want the gain. You're willing to take the pain if it means you'll get the gain. And that's exactly what we're talking about here today. Jesus did not look forward to the cross. We know he prayed in the garden to have that cup be removed from him. But no pain, no gain. No pain, no salvation. No pain, no redemption. No pain, no reconciliation. No pain, no family in heaven with him. But before we get to the cross, I want to notice how Jesus' ministry began because I told you he has very ugly bookends at the beginning of his ministry. I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 1 to 11. And this is a pretty familiar passage. It's the temptations of Jesus. Matthew 4, verses 1 to 11. And I want to notice the, the beginning of his ministry starts this way. This is very interesting that his ministry started so severely. But listen to what it says in Matthew 4, verses 1 to 11. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now, I wish we had the time to preach through that lesson because there's a lot to glean, but we don't. I'm just going to notice a few important things from the first temptings of Jesus Christ. And this is the first thing we got to notice, okay? His ministry began by being severely tested. That's how Jesus' ministry began. He was tested severely in the wilderness. His first steps into ministry were some of the most intense temptations Jesus ever went through. Guys, the Christian life is much that way, isn't it? As soon as we say yes to following the Lord Jesus, whatever that was for you, the armies of evil come after us to shake our confidence. They come in a brutal fashion and get us to abandon our path and go back to the world, go back to sin. Because they know right at the beginning we are the weakest we are at the beginning of our journey. That's a very opportune time to attack us. It's also true that they attack us right at the end of our journeys. Because those are the two times in the Christian life we're most likely to give up. At the beginning, when we're weak and immature, and at the end, when we're exhausted. And we've been through a long journey, and the devil is an opportunist. So at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, it was a really opportune time for the devil to go. Before he gets into this, let's go hardcore. Let's attack him, and let's do as everything we can to get him to fall off the path of God. And that's the first thing that's interesting is he was severely tested right at the beginning of his ministry. Number two is the devil sought to trade Jesus all the treasures of this world if he simply gave up doing the will of God. If you give up doing the will of God, you can have all of these treasures. Right now, they're yours. Go ahead, take them. Let's make a trade. The devil loves to make trades with us. He knew he had an ability, Jesus had an ability, to be lured by earthly treasures just like we do. He was just hoping that it was enough. It was enough for Jesus to lose focus on the greater, longer-lasting treasures of staying faithful to God. He wanted to make a trade. Jesus, this I will give you. Jesus, you can have this. Jesus, wouldn't bread be pretty amazing after 40 days of no food? You can have this bread right now. Just don't do the will of God. Jesus, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world if you just exchange doing the will of God. But Jesus remains steadfast. And that's the third thing we find out, is he remains steadfast to God's will. How did he do it? He utilized scripture. Isn't that interesting? To just say, he didn't just say no or get lost or thanks but no thanks. What did he do? He quoted scripture. He used scripture to attack the devil. And Pastor Mel's lesson last week told us that's one aspect of how we fight temptation. We utilize scripture, right? We know it, we remember it, and we use it when we need it. That's exactly what scripture is there for. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Jesus showed us how to do that. Without scripture, he wouldn't have had the proper mindset to know he was being deceived, and neither can we. Without scripture, without knowing it, without remembering scripture, we're not smart enough 
to know we're being deceived. Do you know that? That's why it's called a deception. It sounds like truth. But if we know scripture and we can tell it's a lie, we can stand against that lie. It's like working at a mint, right? If someone is trying to tell a forgery as far as money goes, who are the best people to tell that? People who work at a mint. Because they deal with the authentic article all the time. So when a forgery comes by them, they go, wait a minute, that's not real. That's a fraud. That's a forgery. Unlike most of us who just look at it and go, it's a $100 bill. I guess it is. But people who work with a genuine article know it's a fraud and know it's a fake. If we don't know scripture, we will not have the proper mindset to know we're being deceived. Because deception sounds like truth when we don't know truth. So what did the Lord Jesus do? He utilized scripture. He thought about it. He remembered it. And then he spoke it out loud. And didn't Pastor Mel teach us that this past Sunday? Speak it out loud. Say it, remember it, speak it out loud when you need it. And the devil will not like that. Number four, Jesus' desire for God's glory was ultimately greater than his desire for any temporal earthly joy. Meaning he found more joy in obeying his God than he would ever find in sin. More joy in obeying God than he would in finding sin. Credit card companies. Credit card companies, I told you before, this is kind of a good metaphor for this, is credit card companies are willing to give you what you want right now. That's why they're there, right? We want to make you happy. We want to give you everything you want right now. Is that why credit card companies exist? No, it's not. Credit card companies exist because they want your money. They want to enslave you. They want to own you. And the way they're going to do that is by giving you everything you want right now. That's how they do it. You can have this right now. You don't have to wait. Go get it. Enjoy it. But then we own you. Then you're ours. And that's kind of how sin works. Sin will give you everything you want right now, but then you're in slavery. Then it's going to steal from you. It's going to steal your time. It's going to steal your energy and your focus and your earth and your eternal treasures. But the joy Jesus found in doing the will of God was greater than the joys of sin. And I believe he feared displeasing his father. Those are two very powerful things. If we can get both, if we can secure the joy of understanding the reward coming to us at the end and the fear of displeasing our God, we'll stand against the devil. And Jesus stood because he would not displease the father and he knew the joy with doing God's will was greater. Number five. This is what's so powerful about this testimony or this, this passage. It says in verse 11, then the devil left him. The devil eventually fled from Jesus after he realized Jesus was firm in doing the will of God. And he was equipped to fight the devil with the truth of God's word. You see, the devil is an opportunist. I don't think he's a great warrior. I think he's a smart warrior. I think he knows when the best time is to tempt us and when it's the best time to flee from us and not waste his energy. Once he realized that Jesus was firm, was using scripture, and was not going to give in to the pleasures of sin. The devil fled. He's out of there. He's losing. So he would leave Jesus for a time, but he would come back, wouldn't he? He would come back. I told you he's an opportunist. He would find another time at the end of his journey to really, really go hardcore against the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if Jesus would, get, would have given in to just one of the devil's temptations, just one, he would have spoiled God's plan to redeem his people through Christ's perfect sacrifice because Christ would no longer have been 
the perfectly righteous sacrifice that we needed. And therefore, he could have saved nobody. If Jesus gave it to one temptation, he would have saved nobody. But he stood his ground, he utilized scripture, and he stayed the course. And guys, we needed that perfect sacrifice for forgiveness of our sins. It wasn't going to take any sacrifice. It wasn't going to take the blood of bulls and goats. It had to be the perfect lamb of God. And thankfully, Jesus remained the perfect lamb of God up until the point he was crucified. So that's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And that's a hard thing to think about, but it's important for us to know because Jesus was really tempted and tried at the beginning of his journey. But I want to fast forward now to Matthew 26, if you have your Bibles. Because I told you the devil, he's an opportunist. And he didn't do well in the wilderness against Jesus. But now he had even a better opportunity to tempt the Lord and pull him away from the path of God. And we find this in Matthew 26, where Satan was mobilized. And I believe for years he was mobilizing his attacks and waiting for the last day, the last opportunity he had against Jesus to really send everybody against Jesus. If you remember the movie The Bourne Identity, I don't know if you guys have seen that movie. In that movie, Jason Bourne has gone rogue. He's a black ops guy, and he, he has gone rogue off, off the charts, and they want to get him back. And so in one part of that movie, uh, the guy in charge says, go get him back. And he says, send everybody. So they actually call up all the black ops guys and they say, go get Jason Bourne. And the one guy goes, everybody? And the guy goes, everybody. Send everybody. And I, I believe this is what we're going to look at now. Everybody was sent. Every minion, every evil force was sent against Jesus in Matthew 26. Because the devil had been looking forward to this opportunity. But he had the same goal. The same goal in Matthew 4 was the same goal in Matthew 26. Get Jesus to quit. Get him to walk off the path. Get him to fall just once, and we will have accomplished our goal. Because I told you, the most vicious attacks in the Christian life come right at the beginning and right at the end, because that is when we are most likely to fall off the path. And guys, this is exactly, we told you in James chapter 1, this is exactly why we need trials. This is exactly why we need trials. Because the devil means trials and temptations for evil. You know what God means trials for? For good. Trials strengthen us. They get us in the gym. They get us equipped and ready to fight the devil. And we need trials for that very purpose. And Jesus had gone through a whole bunch of trials until Matthew 26. And the devil thought he'd be the weakest. But actually, Jesus was the most ready to fight the devil in Matthew 26. Let's go to the text now. Matthew 26. I'm not going to read the entire chapter. I'm going to jump around a little bit. I'm going to read verses 1 to 4. And then we'll fast forward a little bit. Matthew 26, starting in verse 1. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now go to verse 14. We're going to fast forward to verse 14. It says, then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now we're going to go to verse 26 and read to the end of the chapter. So stay with me. Verse 26, 
to the end of the chapter and think about the trials of Jesus Christ. Verse 26, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, but the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Verse 36, And Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So you could not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Verse 47, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you have came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you not think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But... How should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out against me as a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered, and Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death, but they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. 
And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I jure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? Verse 69, Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You were also with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath, I do not know this man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. You can notice the trials of Jesus were intense, can't you? That was a very, very long, long night. And there's much to say about this amazing but difficult chapter, but I want to end today by linking it to what we have heard from James chapter 1. James, if you remember, the brother of Jesus wrote James. The brother of Jesus. And he told us to count it all joy when we meet testings or trials of various kinds because the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. That word means endurance, strength, being immovable, being unwavering in your faith. And then he says steadfastness will eventually produce total maturity and total perfection. Consider that. We can become perfect in Christ if we keep our footing, remain our course, and keep going forward until the end, just like our Lord Jesus did. James then told us to watch out that we aren't lured away by our own evil desires because sin has the power to put a vice grip on our lives and lead us away from the Lord permanently and towards eternal death. Sin isn't something any Christian can play around with. You know that, right? Sin is deadly. But how does that pertain to Christ's final days? How does what James told us in James chapter 1 pertain to the final days of Jesus Christ? Well, because Jesus faced incredibly hard testings in his last part of his journey. Number one, just a recount, Jesus faced plotting against his life by who? The Jewish religious leaders. Their head was God. Their head was Jesus Christ, and they didn't know it. And they plotted to kill Jesus and to entrap him so they could kill him. Number two, Jesus faced one of his own disciples planning to betray him for money. One of his 12 plans to betray Jesus for money. Number three, the night before the crucifixion, Jesus faced all of his disciples abandoning him when he asked them to stay awake and to pray with him. Every single one fell asleep. Jesus faced the refusal of his request to God to spare him from the cross, even though he prayed so fervently that he sweat drops of blood. His request was denied. Jesus faced betrayal with a kiss on the cheek from his disciple Judas. What would that have been like? 
to stand there in the garden, have one of the twelve who you're with three years teaching and guiding and watching over come up and kiss you and betray you. Jesus was blasphemed and falsely accused of horrible sins by the Jewish religious leaders, all while not defending himself. They also struck him and spit in his face. Jesus faced being denied by one of his closest disciples while he's being unfairly tried for sins he never committed. Peter's in the presence of many people disowning the Lord Jesus Christ. And during this process, Jesus was to count it all joy. Because that's what he told us. Count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. How is that possible? He was to remain perfectly holy and not give in to one single temptation to do something outside of God's will and also be at peace about what these trials were sent to him for. And therefore, he was to find joy from these events because God's plan was working and he had to trust it. Through all of these trials and temptations, God, his plan was working. See, we like to think when considering these really hard trials that Jesus went through that he must have relied upon his divine power as the Son of God to endure them, right? Because how could any man accomplish what he did? Jesus must have relied upon divine power from heaven to resist all these temptations and go through all of these trials. But you know what it says in Hebrews 4.15? Listen to this verse. It says, We do not have a high priest, referring to Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. If Jesus had utilized his divine power from heaven to overcome these testings, then that passage isn't true because he would not be able to sympathize with my weakness. He would not have been tempted exactly as I am because he would have been incapable of giving in to those temptations. And if he was incapable of giving in to the temptations, then the tests weren't really tests. If there's no possibility for you to fail, it's not really a test. But this truth stands. This truth stands. The Lord was tempted just as we are in every respect, with weaknesses, capabilities, temptations, desires to fall off the path of the Lord. And therefore, guess what he can do? He can sympathize with our weaknesses. He can say, I've been there. I know what that's like. It is hard. He knows exactly what it's like to want to give in to temptation to want to abandon the path of God because it's so hard, but he never did. He conquered evil, and that means so can we. See, Jesus didn't utilize divine power from heaven that we can't have. You know how he did it? He stood his ground the same way we can, with scripture, with prayer, with the church, and by faith. That's exactly how he stood his ground. And now he's saying to us, you can too. I get it. I understand how hard they are, but I also conquered it. And you have the same tools that I have. And this is what makes this lesson so powerful because Jesus endured severe testings on earth because that's what we needed him to do. I needed him to go through these testings. You needed him to go through the cross because we needed that sacrifice. But in case we consider that it was all just torture for Jesus, 
I want you to remember the aspect of joy in the midst of trials because it says in Hebrews 12, verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What kept him going? Joy. Joy. The joy of what he was going to accomplish. The joy of getting us back with him. The joy of one day being exalted with his people and reigning forever. That's what kept him forward. And you know we have the exact same thing offered to us. A kingdom. Exaltation. Eternal glory. And presence with the holy God for the rest of eternity. If we stay our course. How did Jesus endure these severe tests? With joy. With joy. And now here's the great thing about our Lord Jesus. He has that joy today. He has it today. It wasn't a tease. Jesus is now experiencing the joy of what he accomplished on the cross and he will for the rest of eternity. It's not the joy that comes from the pain or trials of temptations, right? It's not from that that he gets joy because trials actually hurt. Temptations actually bring discomfort. But he got it from the peace that we find within, knowing that we are being crafted into God's likeness. That's where the joy comes from. The trials are crafting you into the image of Jesus Christ. And the joy will come. You know that. The joy will come from staying faithful to God if we endure our tests and continue following our Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, just like Jesus, we can't abandon the path. We mustn't abandon the path Jesus has placed us on. And now look at the result of Jesus' faithfulness and endurance through his test in Hebrews 5, verses 8 to 9. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Jesus' obedience and perseverance through these tests made him the perfect sacrifice we needed for our souls to be saved for all eternity. His obedience made him the perfect sacrifice. His obedience made him our perfect sacrifice. And our obedience to him is what makes us perfect too. That's what James says. We owe every breath of our lives to the fact that Jesus endured his tests while always, always doing the will of God in spite of intense hardships. And they were intense. But Jesus also left us a pattern to follow. Uh, a couple years ago, when Haddon was just three or four, it was a really deep snowfall in winter. And uh, we went out in the snow, but it was really deep. It was like several inches of snow. And Haddon wanted to go in the snow. He loves playing in the snow, even today. And so we went out in the snow, but the snow was really, really deep. And Haddon was having trouble keeping his footing because the snow was so deep. So I was actually walking around with him in the snow. And the only way Haddon could keep his footing is doing, by doing something very simple. Placing his foot exactly in the footprints that I left. That's how he kept his footing in the snow. He took the exact same footprints his dad did. Because otherwise he couldn't stand. Isn't that an interesting illustration? Jesus left us those footprints and said, you will not be able to stand unless you step in the exact footprints that I give you. So here's the pattern. Here's the pattern. Here are the footprints that Jesus gave us. Number one, consider. Consider the value of staying faithful to the Lord. Okay? 
you focus on the pain and the difficult of difficulty of trials, you're probably going to give up. You've got to change your focus on the value of what's to come from enduring the trials and temptations. That which Jesus did, he took his eyes off the storm and saw through the storm to the destination. I know that's difficult, but that's what he did. He said, take your eye off the pain and look at the process or look at the destination of what these trials are going to produce. Consider the value of staying faithful to the Lord. That's footprint number one. Footprint number two is by finding the true peace that comes from doing God's will. And I, guys, I will tell you, there is peace from doing God's will. And you know what you find from not doing God's will? Shame, guilt, chaos. All kinds of bad things come when you don't obey the will of God. But when you obey the will of God, peace floods your soul. And Jesus is telling us, man, do the will of God and you will have peace within. That is really powerful to have peace within. Don't you think everybody in 2020 wants that? I want peace within because everything is tumultuous outside of here. I need peace. And God says, you can have it. Do my will. Footprint number three is from the joy that we will one day experience when we finish our course and we're exalted with him forever in heaven. Guys, joy is coming. Joy is coming. See, baby walker number seven is coming in April sometime. And now we're looking forward to that day when we'll be able to see baby walker number seven. And when that day comes, there will be joy. And there will be a trial of a, of a pregnancy and a labor and, and difficulties, not for me, of course, but there's a little bit, but mostly for my wife. But you know what? The, even the scriptures attest that even every woman would say this. There's joy following that when the baby comes and you're able to see and hold the baby. And now, like scriptures taught us, there's pain and difficulties and trials, but guess what's to come? Immense, immense eternal joy. And see, all three of these footsteps are, are ones that Jesus left us. He left us these footsteps so we don't have to stumble around in the snow. We take the exact footprints he left and we stand our ground. Wyoming Valley Church, stay faithful. Stay faithful to the Lord Jesus. And honestly, right now is when it counts the most. I mean, we have a nice big room here full of people. Well done. Stay the course. It's 2020. There are many, many excuses you could use to not be here. And they would all seem justifiable. But we need to stay faithful when it's hard, while it's difficult, and remember what the Lord taught us. See, the Lord's will is for us to be tested. These tests are on purpose to craft us into something we're not yet like Jesus. God knows what he's doing, and these trials are a significant part of God's plan to love us and to be with us for all of eternity. Don't you want that? Don't you want the reward of what these trials are producing? Presence with God? No more pain, no more hardship, no more difficulty, no more devil, no more sadness, no more darkness. Don't you want that for the rest of eternity? That's what these trials are producing. The lesson today is for strengthening our weak legs, because if you're like me, you might have weak legs and a weak back. And we need strength today, don't we? It's also for freshening our zeal and our love for Jesus to go, wait a minute, what am I doing? Jesus, you're worth it. You're worth it. You're greater than sin. You're greater than all of these things that are available to me. You're greater. And for recommitting our allegiance to do God's will no matter what. Because it takes that to do God's will no matter what. But it's also about remembering. Remembering what Jesus did on our behalf. Because if Jesus did not endure his testings, none of us are here right now. 
If Jesus didn't go forward in the midst of intense trials and temptations, we're not here right now. And we have no hope beyond the grave. But as the old song says, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Amen. Without him enduring his tests for the joy that was set before him, none of us have any chance at true, lasting joy. But Jesus did endure. Jesus did stay faithful to God. Jesus did obey God's commandments. And Jesus became the perfect sacrifice we needed so we could be with God forever. Do you remember what he did? And will you follow in the footsteps that he left for us? Let's pray before we have communion. Father, I'm thankful for this lesson. It's been helpful for my soul, and I hope it's been helpful for those who are hearing it. What Jesus went through on our behalf, it's, it's hard to read and recollect, but it's important for us to know because without that, A, we don't, we don't remember, and we don't thank, and we don't worship him like he's worthy of. There's so many things distracting us right now, and we need to remember. We need to pause and reflect on what he did. And second of all, we need to be motivated to go forward ourselves because there's every reason, especially this year, to give up and feel quite justified in giving up, saying, God, if you made it easier, of course I would go forward. But God is saying to us, it's hard on purpose. I'm making you something you're not yet. And one day you will get it. Help us to get it now, Father, by trusting you, trusting the process seeing your goodness and following the exact footprints of our Lord. We ask right now that he'd be glorified as we pause and take communion together. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.